Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Blessed to Bless. I sent a several Happy Father's Day texts this morning to spiritual fathers in my life and just um, um, one of them responded and asked me what I was preaching and then began to tell me what they were preaching and totally messed up what I was preaching. Um, actually, it was just perfect. Just it just it just made it so much better, and and just magnified what was on my heart. So I'm thankful for that. It's Pastor Tom. Um, so I'll use a Greek word today. I talked to Pastor Tom today. If, y'all got, if you guys know him, you know I'll use a Greek word and some big words if I talk to him this morning, because that's what he does. And, uh, and I'm, I also reminded in preparation of some things that Padre Rick has taught me, and he's with us today. What a surprise. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, what an honor. What an honor made my day, made my morning, and I'm so happy that he's here. And uh, he's told me some things, and of course, I'm going to share those with you, and they're going to be incredibly powerful, and they're going to be smaller words, and you'll understand them greatly. They're going to be prophetic picture words that are going to be awesome. And I'm going to use a couple words from my dad today. But I, I just want to, um, <clears throat> where I've been this whole week is this concept of comparing ourselves against some made-up standard. And we come out of that with two false ideas, one or the other, or many times probably a combination of both depending which area of life that we're looking at. Because, you know, we compartmentalize our lives. So we judge this area, and we come up with this answer, and we judge this area, and we come up with this answer. And then we find a way to justify our life based on if we had enough of the compartments that we think are more important that came out okay and that outweigh the other compartments. And so we're constantly trying to add up something just happened, and make sure that we're enough because we're striving against a man-made standard that was never in the heart of God for us. I was actually mowing the church last week, and while I was out there mowing, I thought about this statement. We say... Do not, um, oh my, just lost that statement. Do not weigh yourself in the opinions of man. Now, many times when we hear that, do not weigh yourself in the opinions of man, we get excited. That speaks to something in us like that just wants to be free and independent and have no one tell us anything. Because we can put everyone who tells us something we don't want to hear, and we can say, well, that's the opinion of man. And I'm not supposed to bow to the opinion of man. So we say things like, no one can judge me but God. That's true. But in his mercy, he sends people with a brain that can judge your current projected path, and they can get in between you and that judgment of the only one that can judge you and speak the truth and actually keep you from the judgment of God. So don't be so quick to discount every word that a man speaks as man's opinion that I don't have to bow down or listen to. Only God can judge me. It's God's mercy that he put a man or a woman there to speak something to you so that he don't have to judge you. But we get this idea, I can't be 
judged by the opinions of man. And we're always afraid that man is going to judge us harshly and cause us to be in despair or disappointment. And it's going to hurt our confidence, right? That's the pep talk. I wanted Padre Rick to give me that pep talk when Tom Sturbins was whipping my tail when I was his youth pastor at New Hope. And I'd been there for about a year and a half, and I hated it. And he knows I hated it. That's open. I hated it because I was obstinate. <laughs> so I hated it. And so I was just at the point where I was going to probably leave. And my sister called me, and she said, you need to talk. You need Padre Rick, don't you, his love. I said, yes. So Padre Rick came to my house, and I'm like, come on, Padre, give it to me. Comfort me and tell me not to be discouraged because of these crazy opinions of man. And turns out he said that he sees what the crazy opinions of man sees. And miraculously, God changed my heart that night, and I went in the next day and met with Pastor Tom and repented to Pastor Tom. And I, just one of those absolutely dead, raised moments in my life changed. But I was convinced that his opinions were wrong, my opinions were right, and so anything I heard that said don't bow to the opinions of man would have given me a resistance to that. See how true statements can cause wrong actions? Depends on the lens of the hearer, the seer. James talks about if we're hearers of the word and not doers of the word, we're like a man who looks into a mirror, but then when he walks away, he completely forgets who he was. So truth doesn't change us unless truth is put, on, put into action. And we'll never put a truth into action unless God allows us to receive that truth and believe that truth and trust that truth to be the truth. So we're always afraid somebody's going to speak a word and somebody's going to correct us and everyone's out to get us. And if it hurts a little bit, Jahan talked about it last week, if it hurts a little bit, then it's probably not God. Do you know God? <laughs> Do you not know how we have a chance to breathe today? because of the path that Jesus chose. And he says we're supposed to have the same mind in us that he had in him. And we're supposed to join him in his sufferings, yet live out a faith that never hurts. It doesn't work. So we're always afraid somebody's going to do that. And I had this thought when I was mowing, you know, my greatest fear is, before we get to my greatest fear, let me say this. Some people, I remember... Guys occasionally at Redemption Lifehouse would say, Pastor, how am I doing? And I'd say, I don't know. How are you doing? They said, why do you answer a question with a question? I said, that's my answer. I do not know how you're doing. And now I'm trying to know how you're doing. So I'm asking you how you're doing. And then after you answer me, then I'll be able to answer you. Because you want me to tell you you're doing great. Because that's what evidence you have presented to me in my presence. But I'm not going to put a seal and certify the evidence that you have fabricated and put in front of me. So I'm going to ask you, how are you doing? Well, don't ask me that because, I mean, I can't sit here and make all that up. 
I'm doing terrible. I was just hoping you'd say I'm doing good, and then I'd feel good about being terrible. So I've learned this. When we think we've presented the right evidence to people and we've showed a good side, we want to hear what they think about us. Don't we? We want to, we want to hear what they think about us because we know it's probably good because of what we've shown them. We didn't show them the bad stuff. So we want to know. Now, what happens when we blow it? Or when we don't do such a good do job suppressing some of those things that are, like Jahan said last week, cantankerous, oozing sores in our life. As a pastor, I dread the day when people mess up because they don't want to talk to me anymore. When you come into a church new, right? You put your best foot forward. You're the best praiser. Your best everything. And then you mess up one day, mishandle the situation. And then you don't want to talk to the past because then we don't want to know what people think because we know what they think. So then we avoid what they think. That proves that we do not have a real interest in truth. We have a real interest in the opinions of man supporting whatever choices that we want to make. So we go through life trying to get a, oh, pep squad together, a fan base, and then we just do what we want and hope we get enough people. And if anybody is a dissenting fan, we just cut them off. <laughs> We just cut him off. I had a talk with a prodigal son this week, and he's like, man, I bet you're mad, aren't you, about my choices? I'm like, nope. See, your choices affect your life. My choices affect my life. I'm sad about your choices, but I'm not mad about your choices because they're not my choices. The only time I'm going to get upset about your choices is if your choices start affecting my choices. That's why we don't have Redemption Lifehouse anymore because their choices started affecting my choices and our leadership choices, which started affecting my kids' choices. See how it's going to be? When you got a dad who's affected by the choices of people that he can't control or change and it respects him emotionally and all that, then it's going to start, then my bad choices of how I deal with their bad choices is going to make my children have to deal with my bad choices and it's going to affect their choices. I'm getting way ahead of myself and completely off my notes. But, but when somebody has a different opinion, we just cut them off. We don't want to talk to them. My greatest fear... This isn't like a badge, Michael, you're awesome. But through this encounter with Pastor Tom and Padre Rick and several since then, if you can ever join him in the glory of his resurrection truly in a moment, yeah. then you'll become an addict for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be one that's like, please tell me something you see that I can kill on a cross and join him in his suffering again so I can experience that resurrection again in another area of my life. Yeah. So you seek the truth and you don't even care who says it. You really don't even care if they say the truth and then they say some stupid stuff in the same sermon. Yeah. You'll eat the fish and spit out the bones. People that love truth don't get offended. Amen. We get offended because we want to be offended. Yes. Yeah. We're looking for a reason to cut off that person because they said the truth. Yeah. And I don't care if they said stupid stuff and bad stuff and wrong stuff. Be thankful they said the truth. Yes. You can smack me in the face, but if you say the truth, I'm going to thank you. <laughs> I didn't like that you smacked me in the face. But I thank you for telling me the truth. Yeah. 
But all this comes from James chapter 2. If you're taking notes, just for reference, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says they compare themselves to one another, make up their own standards to measure themselves by, and then they judge themselves by their own standards. What self-delusion. That's the ultimate place of deception is when you present false evidence, get a not guilty verdict, and actually believe that you actually didn't do the crime. <laughs> That's when you're in a real bad place. When you get enough people on your team in your offense with someone else that you totally forget what you did to that person. You believe the side of the story that you've presented to everybody. Anybody ever so, so many times, it's another thing that goes over. We need an antenna. I wear rabbit ears. I think that's what it is. We get enough people on our team. James 2 says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool. Verse 4, here it is. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those that love him? I was with a pastor years ago and we were in this meeting and they asked what is your greatest fear and we had to write it down and this guy's greatest fear was that people would realize he's not who he says he is and this is going to sound terrible and prideful, but my greatest fear was that people would not realize how great I was. <laughs> not great, but people would not realize my heart. People would not realize, because I do stupid things, and I handle things wrong, and my greatest fear was that the evidence of my life would produce a narrative and people would not really know who I was. They wouldn't give me the opportunity to show who I am. Yeah. And that happens. And this other guy's greatest fear was that people would find out he's not who he says he is. And I guess uh, I, 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 his history was he was an NFL football player, so he had lived this life of being a star. So everyone kind of held him at a pedestal. So in his mind, he was already at a place where everybody thought he was something, and he was afraid to lose that if people realized he was like me, did stupid stuff. Either way, here's where I'm going with this. All of this comparing amongst ourselves and these standards and making judgments on ourselves See, that's what's crazy. You know why you share your offense with other people? So they'll, they'll make a judgment for you and justify your actions. So then you'll judge yourself, and you'll take their verdict, and you'll try to appease your conscience because some people said you didn't do anything wrong. But you did. So you take a rich man because he has a lot of people telling him he's good, and you give that man a preferential seat, even though he really doesn't deserve it. Wow. And on the sometimes, 
people may hate us and persecute us, maybe the consensus of me is he's pitiful. So I take the verdict of people close to me. Husbands, I'll just tell you, sometimes it may be your wife. It may be your wife that gives you the preferential seat that you really don't deserve. And that's awesome that she's pushing back and grace is putting the darkness and believing who you are and claiming who you are. But she can't change your seat. She can prophesy to your seat. She can call out what's in you. But it don't matter how many good things she says about you, if you know you're sitting in the poor section, you're still in the poor section. If you know who you are as a man, then that's who you are as a man, and the wife can't change it. Amen. Matter of fact, after a while, you'll probably get desensitized to her praise, and it will actually convict you every time she speaks. And you'll begin to resent her because you're not who she says you are. And it highlights it every time. Wives, this sermon is not to tell you how to treat your husbands. Keep speaking the truth of who they really are over them. You can't control whether they get mad and resent you. You can't control whether they move seats or not. You keep speaking the truth. This isn't about telling you to change what you're doing because your husband responds the wrong way. I'm just talking to husbands to say they can't change you. They can't set you free and they can't lock you up. So what I'm saying is we make evil, we make distinctions among ourselves. I just saw this different than I've ever seen it before. Okay, this is about other people, making judgments about other people. I think all of this stuff about prejudice and racism, these are just some of the things that are judgments that we place on other people. But I genuinely believe it all starts with misjudgments about ourselves. Yes. Yes. We hate other people because there's a deep, dark, gaping hole in us because we've judged ourselves wrong and we don't believe who we are, and then we got to go find somebody else, and we'll choose it by the color of their skin or their social class or some other way. Who can I make a lesser person than me? So that I can now excel in my standard of who I am. We're jockeying for position to be the tallest pygmy all the time. We're all judged by one standard. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So even though we're all judged by one standard, man, you can't outrun mercy who's trying to flood every one of us with the grace to be everything that we're supposed to be, to meet every standard that's ever been set for us. But we miss it when we try to sidetrack it, go around it, take a shortcut yeah. by getting a verdict from some people. Yeah. That's my intro. This is why this is so crucial. That was my sermon for today. I was going to unpack it a little bit more, but in a nutshell, that was going to be my sermon. You know, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in his hometown, and they're amazed by the power by which he speaks, yet some of them then say, but isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Didn't we see him pick his nose and stuff? Isn't this, this guy we grew up with, when he talks, he's like a god. But isn't he all this? So they couldn't take the evidence 
with the standards of man and come out with a right verdict about who he was. And because they couldn't come out with a right verdict of who he was, they couldn't receive from who he was. They could only receive from him as Mary's boy. Reminds me of a book John Bevere wrote, Honor's Reward. It's so powerful. It says he can fly to different cities, go into different churches. He can preach the exact same word under the exact same anointing and have drastically different results. Some of those places that he has drastically different results from, just say, hey, um, you know, service starts at 7. Just find yourself a place to stay and find yourself something to eat. We'll see you here at 7. Amazingly, when the word comes, they didn't get a lot out of it. They didn't expect a lot out of it. If you expect a lot out of something, you'll be like, what time does your plane land? What time? And this ain't about worshiping men, guys. I'm just telling you the position of our hearts. Because we do this to ourselves. See, they didn't honor Jesus for who he really was, okay? But it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So if I can't get a vision, and if I can't get a concept, and if I can't see who I can be with Jesus in me, and I keep disqualifying myself because I'm Beverly's boy, and I'm Jerry's son, and I'm that guy who did all this stupid stuff when he's a teenager, then there'll be nothing that happens in my hometown. But if I can get a vision of who Michael can be, no matter who his mama was, no matter who his daddy was, no matter who his crazy sister was. And no matter how many mistakes he's made as a husband, no matter how many mistakes he's made as a father, no matter how many mistakes he's made as a son. Because it's no longer that guy who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me, the hope of glory. And when I can't see that, I've made distinctions inside myself with demonic evil motives to neutralize and paralyze me. And dads, if he can neutralize and paralyze you, he can neutralize and paralyze your children. Yes. Amen. Yeah. 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 Dada. 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 I got to skip a few things here. Enter conversation with Pastor Tom, which I thought was really cool. Because the Greek word he used today, my dad did not use a lot of Greek words. My dad, a lot like Padre, he would have amazing sermon titles that would grab your attention and it would be practical and it would make sense. And I love it. I love to take that and mix it with Pastor Tom and hopefully bring something good of both of those realities to you. But amazingly, I say happy Father's Day. He says, what are you preaching about today? I tell him, preaching about this. And then he just sends me a Greek word, parakaleos. How many times heard Jerry Cox preach? Did you hear him preach about the paraclete? Dad loved that Greek word, and he would use it often, and I loved it. He knew exactly what it meant, and he used it always correctly, and I just loved it. It was just so awesome to watch him use that word. Paraclete. Paraclete is the comforter, the helper. All right, let me take you real quick 
John 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay, when the Parakletos, one called alongside to help or comfort or advocate, intercessor, intercessor. An advocate, a comforter, an intercessor. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He comes alongside, he's a helper, he's an advocate, he's an intercessor, and a counselor. He helps us make the right judgments about ourselves. Yes. He doesn't, oh, that's not comfort. He comes alongside. Yeah. You can't make a right judgment without right evidence. Right. So he has to expose you to the truth. <laughs> no matter how painful that is, yeah. that's the comforter. <laughs> it's not comfortable to live a lie. Uh, it's pseudo comfort to live a lie. Yes. You're always waiting on the shoe to drop. You're always waiting on the bottom to fall out. Yeah. He wants the sleep of the righteous to be sweet. Yeah. So he's the comforter. There are par paracolitos. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. You know what that is? Parakletos. Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also, also for the whole world. Yeah. All right, 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is just a different version of that word, parakalesis. Okay? But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all Perichalesis. The God of all coming alongside, comforting, advocating, intercessing, and calling out. Who comforts Perichalesis us five times in this one passage, these two passages. Five times. Same word. Who Perichalesis us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to perichalesis those who are in affliction with the perichalesis with which ourselves are perichalesis by God. How you like that, Dad? <laughs> Listen to it in the Passion. All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside. See, that's in the definition of perichalesis. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in a painful trial. We can bring them the same comfort that God has poured upon us. So perichalesis is not just perichalete. It's a different connotation, I told you. It's a call or an urging done by someone close beside. Wow. A personal exhortation that delivers the evidence that stands up in God's court. Wow. So we've got the Holy Spirit being our perichalete. And he's comforting us, exposing us the truth, and he's, in, he's bringing the resources of heaven into our lives so that we can know who we are. And Jesus is interceding for us so that we can know who we are. And then he's coming alongside us and he's calling us out. So it's like he puts something on us from another realm and then he calls us out to use it and to be it. <clears throat> in 
in the strictest sense of an advocate here, listen to this. It offers, this is Pastor Tom's word, this disclaimer. After he wrote it, he said, now say that out loud. And then he sent a bunch of emojis. He's like a kid in a candy store when he gets a powerful truth. I love it. In the strictest sense of an advocate, it offers a potential outcome not presently under consideration by the court or judgment. So it comes alongside of you. You're judging yourself by the opinions of man. You keep coming out with the wrong verdict about yourself, but the paraclete comes alongside of you, and he offers a judgment that has not even been considered by the court. It's a, a, defense, a defense attorney that says, okay, yes, I understand the charges. Yes, I understand all those things. Yes, I have done all that. But have you considered, honorable judge, that potentially there is an alternative sentence that we could possibly put on this young man or this young woman? This type of encouragement stands in between the reality and the unrealized possibilities and calls out the possibilities. We are called to stand in between the current reality and the as yet unrealized possibilities and call out an outcome not present under consideration by the current judgment and assessment realities. In our children, we're supposed to stand in between the current realities, the current judgment, the current assessments that they're coming up with about their life, the current realities of the consequences of their bad choices. And we stand between those and we call out an outcome that's not being considered right now. By them. Because they're making their own judgments about themselves. So they're not even right now considering living. They're not even right now considering being fruitful and multiplying. They're not even considering being the head and not the tail. They're not even considering fulfilling the call and the mandate on their life. It's not even in their realm of possibilities right now. But we're supposed to get in between their current situation and what they're supposed to be. And we get in the middle and we bring the resources of heaven down and we call it out of them so that they'll consider something that's not even been considered. But we can't bless them. unless we know who we are. Numbers chapter 13. A few years ago, I preached a sermon on Father's Day, the blessing of a father. And I talked about Ephraim, and I talked about Manasseh, and I talked about Jacob, who was Israel. We talked about... Uh, Joshua, and we talked about Caleb, right? We talked about sons that laid hold of promise because of the blessings of their father. Most of y'all probably already got this. That day I preached that sermon, you probably went straight to here and thought it was awesome and powerful. It's taken me two years in cultivating the sermon for today about not making wrong judgments about ourselves so we have something left in the tank that we can give to our children. That I realize, Numbers 13, this is when Moses gets all the tribes of Israel together and he's sending them in to scout out the land and to save time and tongue. I'm not going to name every one of the uh, (laughs) spies or who their dad was or what tribe they were from. Y'all don't want to hear me do that. But just let's highlight a couple of them. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, 
Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, or Hoshea, the son of Nun. Skip on down to verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. See, if we're going to bless our kids, if we're going to bless anybody, we have to understand where the blessing comes from. So if we're going to know who we are, we're not a sum of our actions. We have to understand that there is an option that was interjected into our life who took away the curse of our choices and offered us a path of redemption. It's our only path forward in freedom. There's no other way to get around it. We have to accept the resources that have been lavished on us from heaven. Are you with me? We have to accept that. That's foundational. We can't bless others unless we know that because we have to pull from heaven to bless them. We got a lot of rescuers wanting to bless people without pulling it from heaven. And then we get this whole jacked up situation happening and it's codependent and you're both empty because you're both squandering every resource you have. Padre Rick told me one time, if you lose a coin, you sweep the house and you find it and you rejoice because you lost a coin. If you lose a sheep, you leave the 99 and you go after the one because you lost a sheep. And they're too dumb to think. But in Luke chapter 15, if your son chooses to leave your house, you don't chase your son. You wait on him to come back. Because you could have kept him from ever leaving, but you wouldn't have a son, you'd have a slave. So you got to let them go. You got to let them make their choices. And what if the dad can't let his son go? So the dad, what did the son do? He took his inheritance, he squandered it all, and he ended up in a pig's pen. Now tell me the bright, wonderful ending of the story if the dad is so jacked up, he doesn't understand where his worth is, he can't trust God with his son, so the dad squanders everything he owns going to the end of the earth trying to find his son. And then he ends up in the pig pen next door to his son, and they find each other. Where is the bright ending to that story? But the father stayed at the house, and the father kept being faithful, and the father kept growing and bringing increase to the house. And you know what else the father did? The father fed a calf every day, and he kept feeding that calf till that calf got fat. While his son wandered off, while his son went away, the father was busy preparing for his return, busy preparing, pulling from what resources he had and letting God multiply them so that his son's path of redemption would be beautiful. You see him just carrying an old T-shirt with him from his son? Wrapped around his neck, walking out to the barn, going in there and feeding that calf, saying, he'll be home soon, son. You're going to be our dinner when he gets here. We got parents fretting over lost children because their children lost their faith to the point that our parents lose their faith. 
You become bankrupt trying to chase your bankrupt child with all your emotion and all your energy. You need to stay there. You need to pull from the resources of heaven. You need to tend to your garden. You need to feed your calf and wait on the Holy Spirit to bring your child to their right mind and bring them back home so you got something to give them. What good is a ring going back on their finger if you didn't know what a ring is a credit card back in the day? What a pitiful story if you put a ring on their finger and say, I oh, just disclaimer, there's nothing in that account. Sorry, I spent it all because I'm a control freak and I have no faith and I've chased you around trying to prevent you from suffering any pain in your life. My children are going to suffer. Period. Because I know they got a call of God on their life. And I know I had to suffer. I know if I'm going to have a tender heart, a heart after God, somebody took a meat grinder and beat on that thing a little bit sometimes in my life. And if I'm going to be able to comfort those, if I'm going to be able to come alongside those that have walked through rejection, I've got to be comforted with that same comfort that they need to be comforted with so that I can comfort them. We got a bunch of parents who self-preserved themselves for 40 years and they've got their kids on the same path trying to self-preserve them. Got a bunch of baby, uh, bubble, bubble parents and bubble babies. Going to change the world from right here from the comfort of our bubble. Trying to make sure we never get hurt. His name was Hoshea, which means salvation. Do you know Joshua is not a whole lot different name? You know what the slight difference was? Salvation, that's a pretty good name to call your child who's going to end up leading the people into the promised land. I'd say his parents were getting pretty, they hitting pretty good. They're pretty in tune with God, right? Son, I'm going to call you salvation. But can you imagine the yoke if your name is salvation? There's only one Savior. And he left heaven to come to earth. He had a little, he, he had a different perspective. Moses just said, the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Joshua, Hoshea, chill. Chill. See, because one time I was tending sheep on the backside of a mountain after I killed somebody and ran away and hid, and a bush caught on fire, and there was a voice out of the bush, and he told me he had heard the cries of his people in Egypt, and he was going to send me to lead them out. And Moses' response was, Exodus 3.11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? How can I lead anybody out of anything? How can I bless my kids? You don't know what I did last week. How can I reach into another reality and pull it down and stand in between the current path of my kids and bring heaven into their situation and believe I can change the course of their life? I'm not made of that material because I messed up myself. I'm not worthy. But God said, here's the catch, Moses. I'm going to go with you. (laughs) <laughs> I feel another laughing fit coming on. <laughs> I'm going to go with you. Moses, you're not salvation. I'm salvation. You just go. Salvation's coming with you. Yeah. 
And if you ever have a chance to father somebody, make sure they know they're not salvation, I'm salvation, and you prophesy over their life that I'm with them. And then there'll never be one that backs down. There'll be one of the 13 that goes in and views out the promised land and says, we can take it because my daddy told me it ain't on my strength, it ain't on my power, but it's in his might and his power, and he'll go with us even to the end. So Moses made judgments about himself with evil motives. Didn't he? I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. I can't even speak good. I know some of y'all are already thinking it's a good thing for you. That ain't a qualification. Hush. But look here. Oh, my goodness. What time is it? Oh, my goodness. Thirteen spies went in and spied out the promised land. Two of them came back and said, let's go. We got this. Eleven of them said, no way. There's giants in the land. Two of them said we could go. Anybody know who the two are? Joshua. And Caleb. Caleb is from the tribe of Ephraim, or Manasseh, I'm sorry. Caleb is from the tribe of Manasseh, which is Judah tribe. Caleb says he can take it. Joshua says we can take it. Joshua had a father, a spiritual father in Moses, who declared over him who he was. And not just declared over him a bunch of stuff and positive speaking, he invoked the name of God over him. He brought God into the situation. Joshua, Hoshea was good, but he brought God into it and let him realize that God is the one. Because Moses didn't know that, and Moses said, how can I do it? And he said, I'll go with you. But I think Moses still struggled a lot. But then Moses asked God to let him see him. Right? And God just turned and made Moses see just his backside of him. And Moses decided he never wanted to go anywhere again without him. And he could go anywhere he was supposed to go with him. So Moses named Joshua correctly. What happened to Caleb, Judah, tribe of Manasseh? Went in to get blessed. Joseph took his sons in to be blessed by Jacob who became Israel. I've preached two sermons, the, pow the power of a blessing of a father, and my name is Jacob. I don't know if you remember either one of those. So I preached all those and didn't realize this, but the guy who prophesied over Judah, Manasseh, Here's what he said in Genesis 49. Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Listen to this, verse 11. I didn't realize I put all that in there. I really wanted verse 11. He to the vine and his donkey's coat to a, the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. Do you hear this prophecy Israel prophesied over Judah? Manasseh, the tribe of Judah. He said, you're going to tie your donkey to a, not a tree, a grapevine. 
Has anybody ever seen a grapevine? It's not donkey tine material. <laughs> Unless grapes are the size of a man's head. And it takes two men to carry one bushel of grapes on a pole between two men. So here we've got Israel prophesying about the grapes in the promised land over Judah, saying you're actually going to go to a place where you're going to tie your donkey to a grapevine. You're going to wash your clothes in the blood of grapes. Grape juice is going to be more fluent, more abundant than water. Are you hearing this? Your teeth are going to be white with milk. A land flowing with milk and honey. This is prophesied and passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. So when Caleb steps foot in Canaan and he sees a grape big enough to tie a donkey to, he said, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but this is my house. This is where I'm supposed to live. Right over there is where I'm supposed to tie my donkey up. I'm going to wash my clothes in the blood of grapes. And I'm going to make my teeth white with milk. But back up. Who spoke this word? The supplanter. The deceiver. The man who spoke this word dressed up like his brother because his mother of manipulation mom, religion is the mother of manipulation. His mama helped him judged him, helped him come to a conclusion about himself that if he wore his brother's clothes, then he deserved the blessing of his brother. Evil motives. Huh? The last one who should make proper judgments about people and be able to speak a word and intervene and pull heaven down and lead a whole people into the promised land because of the words they spoke and the blessing that they released. Yet he did. You know why? My name is Jacob. When he wrestled with God, he tried to convince his dad he was Esau. He tried to buy his birthright with a pot of stew. He tried to fight to get out of the womb first. He did all that stuff to be who he wasn't. He tried his best to make everybody think he was who he wasn't until he saw God face to face. And God said, who are you? And for the first time in his life, he quit trying to judge himself by himself and by the opinions of man. And he decided to set himself to God. And he answered truthfully. And he said, my name is, I'm sure he said, my name is Jacob. And that one word of owning who he was and being truthful and transparent with God set forth a wrestling match that would change him from Jacob to Israel and would give him the power to speak a word that would lead God's people into the promised land. Moses, how can I do this? I can't go. Let me show you myself, just the backside. You'll never answer that question again. Matter of fact, you'll change people's name and says, if the one whose backside I saw is with you, you sure enough are going to be salvation. And he told, ja- he told Jacob, you're going to have to be able to tell Caleb that he can take the land, so i got to wrestle with you, boy. Here, the one who had been one who tried to deceive, tried to make people think he wasn't, tried to go all about man's system and all that stuff. When Manasseh and Ephraim came in and it came time to bless, he switched his hands. He's like, that system that tried to define me for years, we're throwing that out. We put our hand on who our God tells us to put our hand on. And we say what God tells us to say. So I just say, dads, when you don't feel worthy, obviously I'm targeting dads today. Everyone in here knows this is for all of us. Obviously. 
Many of you are being dad, you're being mom, you're being everything. Grandparents are being dad, you're being mom, you're being everything. Siblings are being dad and mom and everything. I say anywhere you've got a voice, get in the middle of what seems to be the only path forward and then pull heaven down into that situation and let them see a reality they have never even considered before. <laughs> Blessing. So in Numbers chapter 6, I wonder if my kids can hear from the Lord. Numbers chapter 6 is in my sermon notes. That's what we're ending with today. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Verse 27, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I then will bless them. They shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. It's just, just lame. Y'all missed that point. I'm going to say it one more time. They, not just, just lame. I mean, it, just lame is amazing. I'm just saying. That's how I remembered her name. I had a friend named Lane, and I'm like, it's just Lane. There you go. I tried it by the spelling, and I got real confused. So, they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. What did Moses do? Put the name of the Lord on Hashia. Made him Joshua. What did Jacob, what did Israel do over Manasseh? Put the name of the Lord on him. Invoke carries two dimensions of expression, to solicit from and to mark on. Listen, invoke is to solicit from and mark on. To invoke something, you have to have the resources of something. If you invoke a privilege, you have to be given that privilege. Right? I invoke my right. Well, you can't have right. A right has to be given to you. Okay? So you're going to go to the Constitution or something. So if we're going to invoke something, it has to be something that's been given to us. So we got to judge rightly what's been given to us so that we have power to put it on other people. So today, dads, will you stand up? Dads, can you put number 624 up on the screen back there? Dads, I want to bless you. what you think your options are. I don't know what you think the sum of your choices has to be now. I don't know what you think you're destined to. I don't know what you think you're disqualified from. But today I'm standing between what you think your life has to be and I'm bringing down what he says your life can be. And I'm going to speak that over you. And you're going to become who he made you to be. So I say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Dads, I challenge you. If your children are here today, we're going to take just a minute. 
I don't know if there's any way to put all that up there. Just keep cycling through it, I guess. Dads, I want you to put your hand on your kids. This is awesome. You know what? This is Oath and Covenant. This is what God did with Abraham, made Oath and Covenant with him. So I believe we can solicit the blessing from heaven with an uplifted hand, and I think we can mark it on our children by putting our hand on them. So would you lift a hand with each one of your children? If your children aren't here today, I challenge every parent. I don't care if you have to text, call, whatever it is. Will you speak this blessing over your children today? Will you contact them today and speak this blessing? So dads in the room, will you put your hand on your children? Just do one at a time. We'll go through this verse several times. Just keep it going kind of quick. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The Lord, some of y'all might have eight kids like me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Don't just rehearse it and mean it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Husbands, I think it'd be so appropriate to bless your wives today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace number 6 24 and 27 if I was you I'd remember it. Speak it over your children as often as you can. Next time you want to call them and give them a word about how jacked up their choices are, call them and bless them instead. Just bless them. Because all they need is face to shine on them, and like Moses, they'll see him. And they'll know what needs to happen. I love you. I bless you today. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.